One of the first things that people find out about Wagner's The Ring of the Nibelung is that the orchestra is huge. We have 15 woodwind, 17 brass, two timpanists, six harps, and to round it off there's a string section which would be pretty large even by today's standards. And at the time of The Ring's premiere as a cycle in 1876, it would have seemed immense. Even today, the force and depth of the string sound at the beginning of Die Valkyrie, as we've already heard, can be pretty impressive. It all fits the scene, stormy weather, lashing rain, and a hunted man fleeing for his life. And that's just the string section. When Wagner unleashes the full force of his orchestra, it can be overwhelming, and it's clearly meant to be. This is a composer who sometimes glories in sheer thunderous sound, and you need strong voices and some judicious staging to sound across this. vast orchestra isn't just there to add power, like having huge speakers in a cinema or at a rock concert. He also uses it to create unprecedented effects. Take those six harps I mentioned earlier. Wagner combines them with intricately rippling strings, a glockenspiel, to evoke the magic fire that Wotan summons up to surround the sleeping Brunhilde at the end of the opera. It's a glittering, flickering, scintillating, multi-layered texture, like real flames. There are significant additions to that mighty brass section, and not just for the sake of power. Wagner uses, for the first time in music that I'm aware of, a contrabass trombone, which extends not just the power, but the range of the trombone family. Take Wotan's spear motive, a downward thrusting figure, not a little phallic in character. Here is Wotan using it to summon up the fire god Loge.
there's one really rather exotic brass edition, not really a member of the standard brass section, but still slightly more than just an offstage effect. It's in the big duel, the fight, the dramatic centrepiece of Act Two between the hero Siegmund and Hunding, the husband of the woman Siegmund has claimed as his own, and he's suitably enraged. More of this story later. As Hunding approaches, we hear his cow horn blowing his challenge, getting ever nearer. Come out and fight. Less outré, perhaps. There's also a quartet of slightly strange or unclassifiable instruments known as Wagner tubers. They're a bit like the higher kinds of the familiar tuba, but played with a horn mouthpiece, so they're doubled by four of Wagner's eight horns. Wagner had originally intended to use something else, the sax horn, which he'd heard on a trip to Paris in 1853. And yes, they were indeed invented by Adolf Sax of saxophone fame. But he soon realised they weren't quite what he was looking for, and instead commissioned a completely new set of instruments from the Berlin firm Moritz, based on the shape of the German tenor horn, but with the valves switched to the left hand so that they could be played by the orchestra's French horn section. As it happened, these instruments weren't quite ready for the premiere of the ring, but when they eventually took to the stage in future performances, the results were electrifying. Music there from Das Rheingold, the first opera in the ring cycle. Wagner tubers can be gorgeous, or they can be somewhat hippopotamus-like. They're not easy to control, and horn players treat them with caution. One professional I know calls them catastrophones. The wild side can be heard in the opening storm of Act One from Die Valkyra. This is where the tubers sound out the motive of the thunder god, Donner. The Wagner tubers have a similar range in the orchestra to the quartet of trombones, but there's one big difference. They have valves, not slides, so it's much easier for them to play smoothly, legato. There's a telling moment in Act Two, where Brunhilde has to appear to Siegmund as the Annunciation of Death. The motive, sometimes called fate, is played on the Wagner tubers and the contrabass tuba, with a funereal rhythm on timpani. 
With trombones, you'd be more aware of the changes between notes there. But that's not what Wagner wants. He wants that eerie smoothness. Aside from the brass, there's also the enhancement of the woodwind section. Four of each family, except the bassoons. Well, with all that bass brass, perhaps it's not necessary. Wagner adds a piccolo, an English horn, and a bass clarinet. This means that in judicious combination with the brass, the woodwind can make a substantial wind band in itself, capable of a powerful expressive charge. Take the moment in Act 3 where Wotan, who is compelled to punish his errant daughter Brunhilde by the ruling of his wife Fricka, looks forward to the free hero who will one day rescue her. Freer than I, the god. Cue a magnificent rising figure on the woodwind. The point here is that this is a role reversal. The strings are just decorative in the background. The woodwind have the soaring lyrical role. Passages like that, the woodwind are capable of such massed intensity that Wagner can delay handing over to the traditionally hyper-expressive strings until nearing the summit of the great emotional wave. But the woodwind, of course, are also capable of great delicacy. That immense soaring melody is sometimes described as the love motif. There are catalogues of motifs of Wagner's ring, but they're not always very helpful, and they don't often carry the composer's specific endorsement. That one expresses the intense love that Wotan feels for his daughter Brunhilde, despite her disobeying his orders. And that's its final magnificent flowering, as Wotan's love finally gets the better of his wrath. The first stirring of this motif is heard at the beginning of a superb Act Three scene. Wotan has dismissed all the other Valkyries, Brunhilde's sisters, and now confronts her. She lies prostrate before him. The love theme also sounds pretty prostrate, or at least tentative, as it rises timorously on bass clarinet, then on the plaintive English horn.
Wonderful, isn't it, the way that bass clarinet represents Brunhilde's feelings before she's even spoken a word. It gives us an insight into her state of mind. Through the following scene, the orchestra tells us how Brunhilde's feelings and confidence grow in strength as she pleads her cause. The English horn and the brighter oboe take up that theme and extend it lyrically. Her pleading is getting through Wotan's defences, perhaps. And finally, as Wotan gives in and grants Brunhilde her request, a magic fire surrounding her sleeping body that only a true hero can penetrate, the love theme wells up gloriously in the strings. For all his anger, Wotan's love for his daughter is the stronger. We've reached a crucial point now. Wagner's expansion, enrichment of the orchestra in the ring, isn't just about adding power, scale or atmosphere. Instrumental colour and character enter into the deepest workings of the drama. We've just heard the first stirrings of the love motif, then its glorious, triumphant flowering. Instrumental colour is part of the story. Now, Wagner was very much absorbed by classical Greek drama. He was fascinated by its power as something close to a religious rite, binding a people together. The role of the chorus in Greek tragedy preoccupied him, the way it comments on the action, analyses the thoughts and motivations of the characters, the way it sets up situations or events, sometimes with ironic detachment, sometimes with impassioned involvement, heightening the intensity. And also, not long before he began writing the music for The Ring, Wagner discovered the philosophy of Arthur Schopenhauer. Schopenhauer explored the notion of the unconscious mind long before Sigmund Freud. Do we make decisions consciously, as we like to think? Or are our thoughts and actions governed by things within ourselves of which we're often not aware, at least at first, until maybe realisation dawns? Schopenhauer also felt that music was the best of all the arts when it came to representing those unconscious thoughts, feelings and drives, and Wagner emphatically agreed. This leads to perhaps the most revolutionary of all the ideas in the ring, that one can have the modern orchestra, that had been so much enhanced by the likes of Beethoven, stand in place of the ancient Greek chorus in the drama, that the orchestra can comment on, enhance the thoughts, actions, emotions of the characters. 
This all fits in with the stream of consciousness style in the ring. As you must have realised, Valkyra isn't a number opera. It doesn't break down into arias, duets, ensembles, choruses or dance sequences. Wagner had long ago left that style behind. And it's fascinating to hear how his long journey to the ring started, here in the set-piece arias and ensembles of the early opera Die Feen, the fairies, which he'd written some 40 years earlier. Feyen, Wagner's first completed opera, and which he never saw performed. Back in Die Valkyrie, there is one moment like an aria in the classical sense, and that's Sigmund's greeting to spring in Act One. It still emerges from the orchestral texture, it arises from it. That aria builds towards an ecstatic climax, but just where it could come to a rousing, rounded conclusion, cue enthusiastic applause, Sieglinde soars in, and the stream, the lifelike current carried by the orchestra, continues onwards. orchestra carries the psychological current, like fate driving the action seamlessly forward. There are plenty of other cases where the orchestra's chorus-like analysis goes deeper. We've heard that wonderful moment in Act One, where the fugitive Siegmund arrives at the home of Hunding and his wife Sieglinde. He doesn't yet know that Sieglinde is his long-lost sister, and that she's destined to become his lover and the mother of the hero Siegfried. Sigmund arrives as Hunting is absent, exhausted and storm-battered. Sieglinde offers him a drink. As she does so, they meet each other's eyes. There's a rising figure and a highly expressive cello solo, unaccompanied. Then a rich passage for divided cellos in five parts tells us that something deep has passed between them, even though neither of them yet knows what that something is. Clearly, though, it is deep. A little later, Wagner's orchestra shows how this feeling blossoms into awakening passion. The lyrical motif is taken up by the full cellos, eventually rising unaccompanied in a magnificent arching line. Siegmund sighs deeply, says the stage direction, but we don't really need to know that. The music tells us everything.
There's another instance from Act Two this time, which shows how orchestral colour plays a part in conveying the narrative message. It's the scene where Wotan confronts his wife, Fricka. There's soon to be a showdown, a duel, between Sigmund and Hunding, whose wife, Sidlinda, he has eloped with. Wotan wants Sigmund to win. Perhaps he could be the free hero who would redeem the world from the curse of the ring. But Fricka, the goddess of marriage, insists that Sigmund is an adulterer and must die. Eventually, especially when confronted with a list of his infidelities, Wotan caves in. At which point something remarkable happens to one of his themes in the orchestra. This is where his defeat really registers. Remember Wotan's stunningly imperious and masculine spear motif? As Wotan complies reluctantly and conveys his revised orders to Brunhilde, it is Sigmund who must die, not Hunding, the orchestral strings present a transformed version of the spear. It still moves downwards, and it begins with an angry flourish, yet it doesn't now so much thrust as wilt, thwarted, as Brunhilde registers her astonishment at the transformation in her father. Opera is about singing above all. The killer question is always, why are these words being sung? And if you can't answer that, the opera is a failure. And Wagner's vocal writing, poised between lifelike recitative and fully-fledged song, is what focuses in our attention. But all the time the orchestra is working away too, setting scenes, planting ideas or feelings before a hint of them has been uttered or enacted on the stage, and carrying the action, the flow of feeling, when the essence seems too deep for words. The relationship between the voices and the orchestra is complex, subtle and endlessly fascinating. And after it, opera was never to be the same again. Mm -hmm. 